So I had two kids and I remember um, saying, I, I got to go home. I got to make dinner for the kids. <laughs> I didn't have a nanny. I didn't, I didn't, I remember when CAA called me and they said, you know, uh, we want to represent you and we have this movie and that movie and you have to come out to California. I said, what are you crazy? I can't do that. I have two kids. And he turned around and he said, get a nanny. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. All right. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. I have the legendary Lorraine Bracco in the house today. Uh, she is just so cool. You're going to hear that. Um, she has been, you know who she is. She's been nominated for an Academy Award. She's been nominated for tons of Emmys and SAG Awards and Golden Globes. She's won a few SAG Awards. Um, she's just been around forever. She's worked with all of the best and she is so down to earth. She's got so much wisdom and she she's really funny and she doesn't take herself too seriously. We met on The Sopranos almost 20 years ago now. Uh, we worked again together on Rizzoli and Isles uh, a little bit after that. And we get into a bunch of stuff today, but we talk about um, how she got Goodfellas, her relationship with Martin Scorsese and and that how that came about after a big miss a few years beforehand. Um, we talk a little bit about her new HGTV show, My Big Italian Adventure, which um, I saw with my parents over Thanksgiving and just um, she really made me laugh. It's uh, It's just quintessential Lorraine. She's very funny. And we got into some really cool conversations about The Sopranos toward the end, how she didn't want to go in for the role of Carmela and instead lobbied for Dr. Melfi. That's a cool story. And we both exchanged some experiences that we had with uh, James Gandolfini uh, when we were both working with him. And uh, just, a, just a, a really cool woman that I uh, have, have come to really like as a human being, Lorraine Bracco. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who um, has been reading the book. Still, there's constant feedback rolling in. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the people that gifted my book to people. Um, you can always, if you have not read it yet, in the show notes with all these episodes, there's always a link to go get the book on Amazon. So I appreciate it. If you dig this podcast, leave a review, share it with your friends, all that stuff. But for right now, here she is, the legendary Lorraine Bracco. My first question to you, Matt, is why would you want me to do this? <laughs> that, that question, actually, there's, there's a bunch of places I could have started, but that maybe is like the perfect entree because one of the things I was thinking about with you was like the last time we physically saw each other was at JFK, we were getting on the same plane and it was before all the crazy COVID stuff hit, but you had a mask. And I remember thinking like, wow, Lorraine's wearing a mask. Like, I don't think this is anything. And, um, and your doctor friend had told you, but the, the reason I bring it up is because I was sitting there waiting to get on the plane and I kind of looked over and I was like, I did a double take and I was like, Lorraine. And I was getting ready to do what I always have to do or feel like I have to do with any, you know, quote, famous people that I know, which you are one of. And, and I was going to go, Matt Del Negro, we, we did Sopranos, we did Rizzoli, and I like give you the whole thing to take, you know, to take the pressure off. And you just looked up and you were like, Matt, and just so warm and so cool. And that's how you are. You don't, I don't think you think, I, I, you know, why would I have you on the show? Are you kidding me? So the reason why I wore a mask was because my daughter is a doctor. And she has been, you know, adamant about uh, wearing a mask, traveling, cleaning, this and that, because she deals with uh, COVID patients. And she works at a, a, a 
up at Randall's Island uh, with the criminally insane. So she gets people in from Rikers. I mean, she deals, you know, the testing with the doctors. Uh, but she has been like a, a crazy person in my life, in my ear, to say, wear the mask, wear the mask, do this, don't do that. Do you have to go out? Do you have to? I'm like, Stella, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta get out of here. And she has been, you know, look, keeping me very, very aware of, uh, of COVID that, you know, it, it doesn't care that, you know, I, I'm a TV uh, actress or I could be in the movie. She doesn't care. So she's, uh, you know, and a lot of people, I think she feels her whole life. People have always come over to me to talk to me. Yeah. To, so she's been like, you know, up my ass. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's one of the things that I remember that day being mindful of. You know, you and I, uh, I think, I know I like you. I think you like me. And we were kind of talking and I was being mindful of, you know, she's getting on a plane. I'm not going to take up all her time. But you, you have a way about you that is very, very humble and down to earth. And um, I'm just wondering, like, was that something that you possessed kind of as a result of maybe parents that brought you up a certain way or whatever? Or, or did you pick it up along? Is that just in your DNA? You don't, you have no, like, no pretense about you. You never have since I met you. Well, I can only say that, thank you, first of all, thank you very much. I, I am, I find that to be a really beautiful and lovely compliment. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. Um, you know, uh, my father was a fishmonger in the Fulton Fish Market. He married my mom, met, saw my mom at a USO dance in England and across the room and said, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> um, but my parents taught me to treat all people the same. And I definitely taught my children the same thing. And I think by doing and living and being, my children learned that uh, that's how you do it. And um, uh, I think that's why Stella's become a doctor, uh, you know, and helps people who nobody in this society really cares about. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Margo is the same way. We, we treat people no matter who you are, no matter where you come. And I have met people in all ranks of life. And I definitely treat everybody the same way. You do. And like, just so people hear this, my first, I, I'm 99.9% .9 sure. The first time I met you, um, I was working on, I no, we were already done. I had worked on the fourth season of the Sopranos. We never had anything with each other. So I knew who you were. You would have no idea who I was. And there was, um, there was some like Sopranos cookbook, uh, that came out and there was a party for it. And Deirdre was with me. And this was like my first big gig. And, and, and you came over and you had never worked with me. So I'm like, I don't think this woman knows who I am. And you came over to both of us and were so warm and, and inviting. And, you know, as a young actor, you're kind of like, you, you're basically, you feel like a piece of dirt a lot of times because nobody wants you. And you're, warmth, the way you came around to us, it, it really is what you're talking about of, of what your parents gave you. Cause you did that to me. You had no reason to come over to us really. And you did. And then we got, you know, got to know each other again on Rizzoli and Isles. And, and uh, so I, I think it's a beautiful quality and I think it's, it's so cool to see what your kids are doing as a result. Okay. So let's just say, and kudos to Deirdre, I never miss saying hello to a gorgeous Italian guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's very, very nice to hear. Very nice to hear. Um, then I've seen you in a lot of things that I thought you were great in. Um, scandal. 
Thank you. Um, you know, besides Rizzoli and Sopranos, but you know, you're doing good, kid. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long, it's been a long time since that, that Sopranos time. And, um, you know, so, so there's, there's kind of so many different directions I could go and talk to you. One of, you know, we talked about this a little bit. Um, it's just collaborators. Like you, you know, you had, I think of two things for you that are just, I mean, I would say most people in the world know about and, you know, Goodfellas and Sopranos, um, and we talked a little bit about your experience with, with Goodfellas and Scorsese. I remember you saying something that he gave you so much permission to, and I've heard that from other actors that have worked with him, that he just supports all the choices that you bring and kind of lets you open your, your, your wings. And what, what, what is it, you know? Maddie, let you open up the vault. The vault, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, what, what is it? So when you're working with someone um, on the good side, the bad side, maybe you want to talk about Scorsese, maybe there's the other side. What are the things that you look for? Because you have choice in, in the roles that you do, the projects you take on. When you're looking at a director, what is it that you want in terms of working with? And I would imagine Scorsese is like, you know, the, on top of that mountain in some way. Oh, definitely. And so is Ridley Scott. And so is Dick Donner. And so is, you know, I, I've been very, very lucky in my, my, my career. Um, I've had some great directors. But I think the thing is, is that, and I, I guess uh, whenever Raging Bull came out, I'm not sure what year that was, I was living in France and I went to the Champs-Élysées and I went to go see this movie that I had read all this uh, articles about in the Herald Tribune. And um, so I, I went to go see the movie and I had no thoughts of ever acting. And when I watched the movie and I finished the movie, which I loved and adored, I mean, it was, you know, uh, my family. <laughs> Part of my family, not the English side, but the Italian side. I kind of knew those characters. And I said to myself, oh, if I was ever an actress, this director would like me. Interesting. Now, uh, I always felt, and I could tell by a movie, watching a movie, if this director would like me, I would know. And... um that was always a crazy thing for me. Well, well, tell us a little bit about like the, cause, because you had a history, well, eventually a history where uh, I think it was after hours you were, I like, which was, which was 1985 and Goodfellas was 1990. But tell us about that whole kind of, what you thought was going to maybe happen on after hours. And it, and it did like, you had a cool story. That's like, I think all about destiny. Uh, you know what? Looking back. Yeah. So I was studying acting at, uh, uh, I would go to the actor's studio. Is that you or me? I think that's you. Uh, oh, it's my daughter from Paris. <laughs> Perfect. We're just talking about Paris. Decline. All right. Um, sorry. That's all right. No, you were saying you were studying at the actor's studio, I think. I would go to the actor's studio every Tuesday and Friday with Harvey Keitel. And I was studying with Stella Adler because uh, Robert De Niro said, you must take this class. And that was that script interpretation class that Stella taught. And then I would go to a guy called Ernie Martin and I would work because I was too afraid to do anything else anywhere else. And Ernie was very uh, uh, caring and he was, he was good. So I would bring what I was learning and reading from the other two places into Ernie. Anyway, Scorsese's making after hours, it's a big movie for him. He has to prove to the studios that he will not go over budget. 
because he's been over budget on everything. And it was a very important film for him to get back into Hollywood's graces. So I go in, I audition for the part of a, uh, uh, a punk rock artist, let's say, painter. And I go in and I gave a really, really good audition, in my opinion. <laughs> and I came back and I was like, all right, I don't feel bad. You know, I could always have done better because I always say that anyway. But, you know, I wasn't too bad. And I said, you know, maybe I could really get this. Anyway, I get a phone call and it's Martin Scorsese. And I'm expecting to get the pot. <laughs> and he says, listen, Lorraine, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to give you the part because of I'm on a time constraint. You haven't done a lot of movies. It would be kind of, you know, your first American movie. I'd done commercials or things like that, but he didn't. Didn't matter. He said, I'm, I'm on a time constraint. I can't fuck around, basically. Yeah. I have to be very serious. But Lorraine, we are going to work together. So, of course, I, okay, thank you, Marty. I appreciate it, blah, blah, blah. I hang up and, of course, throw a shit fit. Liar, you're never going to work with me. You know, you say that to everybody. You know, all of the things that, you know, any actor would say. And um, crazy enough, I don't even have to audition for Goodfellas. He just asked for me to come up and meet with him and Ray Liotta in his apartment. We had a drink and... Um, he just wanted to see what we looked like together. Yeah. And something I always remember Marty saying, 95% of my job is casting well. Yeah. My job is done. Yeah. And you had said you were, you were a fan of Leota because he had just done... Um... Something wild. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that was my audition. I was also, remember, really naive. I mean, I didn't know. I, all I wanted to do was be a good actor. I didn't care if I made money. I didn't care. I wasn't thinking about being a star. I mean, I was clueless. I was, you know, I lived in France for 10 years. I didn't know anything about this whole crazy business, to tell you the truth. In fact, when I got nominated for a Golden Globe, I had to ask Harvey, what's a Golden Globe? Everybody's going fucking crazy over here. <laughs> this and that and calls. And I was like, what is that? So it's just to show to you that it was never my intent. That, that um, you know, I meet so many kids and they like, I want to be a star. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to go about, you know, getting into the movies or the music business. You know, I admire people like Lady Gaga and Madonna who, who did gigs anywhere. They would sing in the street. Yeah. Because they had to. And I always say that about uh, uh, any of the arts. If you can do something else, this is not the business for you. It's too hard. You get your 10,000, 10 million no's. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and only your, your need to express and be an artist and never stop is, I think, uh, and, and not to go after the glory of it because that's, you know, if you to ask me if I wanted fame or fortune, I would take fortune any day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, you know what I, what I was amazed by when we talked about this was, you know, I, I, I was 1990, you know, I was at the end of high school in 90. So Goodfellas was Goodfellas. And, and, you know, you were nominated for an Academy Award. I mean, everything. So my image of where you 
where I assumed you were in your life when you did that. And then what you told me, like you, I think you said you were living in an apartment, your daughter was young. Like it was like, not some, you know, uh, it, it wasn't some like fantasy thing. You were doing this movie that was incredible, but your life was like, I, I don't know. You walk me through where you were in your life. It didn't sound like it was like some glorious moment of like, you know, you were in an apartment, like doing a movie with a kid. So I had two kids and I remember um, saying, I got to go home. I got to make dinner for the kids. (laughs) I didn't have a nanny. I I didn't. I remember when CAA called me and they said, you know, uh, we want to represent you. And we have this movie and that movie and you have to come out to California. I said, what are you crazy? I can't do that. I have two kids. And he turned around and he said, get a nanny. I was like, what? You know, I'm making oatmeal, guys. (laughs) But see, that's exactly why I started this podcast, because I I saw, you know, even, you know, whatever with where I was, I haven't been nominated for an Academy Award, but I've seen it in people's eyes when someone doesn't know me, but they know me from a show and the way they come up to me and think what my life is. And I'm like, you have no freaking clue. And then I was like, okay, if I look around to other people, they had the, they had the same experience, CEOs of companies, but to see that for people to hear that, like, I want young actors to hear that and go, this is, this is a performance that got you an Academy Award nomination. And you're going, I got to make the oatmeal. Like that's the freaking truth. Yes. Well, look, you know, I, I had my children young. Margot is now 40. I'm a grandmother of two. Stella's 35. Uh, you know, I had my kids young, but um, I never knew I was going to have this kind of career. And I worked it out and I was lucky that I got to bring the kids 95% of the time with me. Yeah. And, you know, we hired people and we, they got me a house that I could, you know, that that I could manage them. And most of the time in my life, I've been a single mom. So that um, and you can ask any single mom, uh, you know, you can't just dump the kids. And nor did I want to. I knew going to live in Mexico, uh, making Medicine Man with Sean Connery for four months in the jungles was going to be a hell of an experience. <laughs> I knew that bringing them to to the south of France for two months or to Redmond, Oregon, when we made uh, uh, even Cowgirls Get the Blues with Gus Van Sant. Um, Stella became a cowgirl. <laughs> You know, so they were all incredible building experiences for me and the girls. Yeah. And did you, what did you do? Like logistically, did you homeschool them? Did you have like a a tutor on set with you? How'd that happen? Yep. 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 Um, You know, yeah, I did everything that I could to keep them, uh, you know, in school, in the grade, doing the work. Yep. We did everything we could. And, um, you know, Margot was born in France, so sh- she spoke French and English. So, you know, she was always a little bit behind. But, you know, when we talk about it now, she's like, oh, I'm so grateful yeah. for all of the traveling we did. And I never realized as much as she didn't want to leave her friends. You know, I said, well, I'm, what am I going to do? Just leave you here? Yeah. You're nine years old, <laughs> not leaving you home. So, um, yeah, there was, yeah, people don't realize, but I, uh, for that, and to have the career, you know, that was afforded me, I was very lucky. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you something, and, and you, we don't have to go there in specifics because I don't care about specifics, but I'm, I'm interested because it's called 10,000 no's. I, I, you know, I talk about acting no's, but also just life no's. And I know you've been through the ringer with 
some marriages. I don't know what, but like what is, because I have a, a sister, a cousin, I feel like friends, good friends that have just gone through divorces and I talk to them and they all say it's, it's the worst thing I've been through. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And yet I, uh, there's part of me that thinks everyone should go through it because what you learn about yourself in the process is you come out the other side with this, you know, wisdom, but it's awful going through it. I mean, how, how have you kind of, you know, mindset wise, how, how do you get through the rough, the rough patches? Cause I'm imagining it, it, it is hellish, you know, even if things are going great professionally, yeah. How do you, how do you do it? How do you muster the strength? Is there like a certain belief that you have? How do you do it? You have to make the oatmeal every morning. And it's, you do it. You just you do, do it. it. You know, I always believed that uh, when you divorce it, it's like losing someone. Losing your best friend, your pal, your 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 your, your co-parent, your th- and I think there is a grief period that you go through, and I want to believe in my heart of hearts that grief is love. So since we can't tell anybody how to grieve and how long you grieve and and uh, how to grieve or why to grieve, um, it takes time. Yeah. But I believe grief is love. I do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's like the, I don't, I don't know who said it, but the, you know, the opposite of love is, is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. It's like, you're, you know, if you don't care, you're not going to grieve, but if you care, you're going to grieve because it's a loss. It's something you cared about, something you valued or someone you valued. And on 50 billion levels. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, making two cups of coffee in the morning or sleeping next to, you know, in a bed where nobody else is there. Whether your kids are asking, well, where's dad? Uh, you know, there's just a million things that, that, uh, that break you. Yeah. I, I like what you said about you got to make the oatmeal because it's, I feel like that's the same kind of in any category, whether you're talking about professionally or you're talking about, you know, your health you know, like literally just like working out or eating well or whatever. It's like, you can have all the conversations you want, but it kind of just like with our characters that we play, it's like, what are the actions? What are you, what are you doing in the scene? Or what are you doing in your day as, as a, as an individual, what are the actions? And if you make the oatmeal every day, that equals love and care and protection, you know, it's cool. And you know, you, you, you got to get up. <laughs> you got to, you got to do. So, you know, I think falling into depression is, you know, you, you, you stop doing. Yeah. And we all, you know, that's one of the things I think COVID has been, it's like walloped uh, everyone because yeah. we in our profession when, like when, when COVID hit and all of a sudden I was on a job I, that got cut short and I was home and I laughed with Deirdre. I said, I was like, I've been doing, I've been doing quarantine for like 20 years. I'm unemployed. I'm doing this podcast. I'm like, this, this seems like normal freaking times for me. Like I've always been, I feel like as actors, we're always so aware of uncertainty because it's, you never know what's next. And I think this has caused the entire world to realize they were under a false confidence that they had certainty. Right. I, I don't disagree with that. And also I feel as actors, because we've not been auditioning or out there or talking or whatever, we've been dormant. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, yeah. everybody does, but I think as actors, even more so, you know, because our entire industry depends on other people. I had a weird shift where I, I, the job stopped and I just pivoted into this podcast. I was like, I can't, and it was almost like for months, I wasn't an actor. I was more, I just leaned into this. And then I, and it was almost like, I don't even know. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about the show. I, I wasn't. And it was only when I knew we were coming back that I got back into the, Head. Into into the head of of an actor, and and started to appreciate it in a new way because it was taken away for so long. Sure. Um, wh- I was thinking about this. I, I didn't I didn't actually know this about you until just like you know preparing to sit down with you that you that you graduated high school, you modeled, and like you said, you went to France. Yeah. Like. Is that one of your, cause I was thinking about like, what is the X factor in your opinion of why you have reached the level of success that you have? And I was thinking this is my theory. Actually, I'll shut up and I'll let you answer. And then I'll tell you my two answers. I couldn't answer it. I don't know. I, I was going to say there's a certain ballsiness that you have that is exhibited in an, in an 18-year-old just picking up and going to France to model. And then I would say there's a certain just kind of a fun attitude that you bring to everything you do. And, and like at some point, we'll talk about my big Italian adventure because I, I, I want people to hear about it because I, I think I, I watch it with my parents on Thanksgiving and it cracked me up. You just... I- Balls. <laughs> What's that? That took balls. <laughs> that took balls. Yeah. You, but you did. You do. You. There's a certain kind of like. I almost think that's if if I had to say it from the outside, that would be the thing. To me, that's like what's the what's that little X factor? It's this. There's a certain. There's a certain essence that you have that's a little bit just like fuck it. I think. And I think that's what, that's what is attractive about you. That's like, there, there's like a little bit of like, you, you don't really, um, you seem to be able to like, let it rip. Is that, does that feel accurate when I say that? Well, I can only say I'm not worried about failing. Yeah. I'm not, it's, you know, it's like, um, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends, girlfriends, I have kids, this and that, and we'll go out and whatever. And they'll put little makeup on and look good and whatever. And I never do that. I never put makeup on. I, you know, I put little makeup on for you today, which is very rare. Um, <laughs> I feel very flattered. And you should be flattered. Um, I wear my clothes inside out. Uh, you know, I don't really care about a lot of things that women care about. And I'm not afraid to fail. I think that's a big thing. Uh, I'm okay if, if, if I don't reach the mark I would like to, but I'll go down kicking and screaming, trying. Have you always been that way since you were a kid? Yes. Who do you yeah. get it more from, your mom or your dad or both? Oh, I would definitely say my dad. Definitely my dad. Remember, my mother was English. She was very prim and proper. She was, you know, I was definitely something, you know, very strange to her as a kid. <laughs> she, you know, I remember she's telling me, you know, like the, the, the teacher in kindergarten or first grade said, yeah, don't worry about her, Mrs. Bracco. <laughs> yeah. So I was always, you know, I, I, I see things differently. I feel things differently. And, you know, I, I know that because the kids tell me. Here's the perfect example. When I told the kids, I read this article on CNN on my phone. This, you know, alert came up, buy a one euro house in Sicily. And I was like, 
this is bullshit. What is this, fake news? You know, and then I'm like, well, it's CNN. I, I don't think that they put out, you know, fake news alerts and buying a house in Sicily. So I click on, I read the article, and now I'm intrigued. Where is this place? Never been to Sicily. Don't speak Italian. But I'm like, I need to know more. I get the Google map out. I'm looking, I'm reading, I'm, I'm, I'm getting every book that I have on Italy out. And I'm like, all, all that evening, <clears throat> I'm studying, I'm looking. And <clears throat> I'm a big HGTV fan. I love the whole remakeover, renovation. I love all that. <clears throat> And it clicked to me in the that morning, this is a great show for HGTV. So I send over the article to my friends over at HGTV, who I know. I go, this is a great show for you guys. You should do this. And I thought maybe it was something I could produce. Yeah. You know, something like that. I wasn't thinking about for me. So when they literally emailed me, you know, a week later... I'm sorry, an hour later, they were like, well, if you want to do this show, it's yours. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to do this, you know. And they said, well, look, we'll, we're going to send you over with a, with, a, with a crew, meet you there. And uh, if you like it, then we do it. And if you don't, you know, we'll live. And of course, you know, getting out of the Palermo airport, driving the 50 minutes to Sambuca, I was, oh my God, I love this. You know, I was like a crazy. Yeah. The people were stunning, fabulous, loving, caring. <clears throat> I remember when I arrived at the airport and he saw my name, Bracco. And he starts to speak to me in Italian and I just went, and he said, ah, father went to America. And I was like, yes. The house that you put together, you told me this story in the airport and the way you made it sound, I'm like, oh, so she's got like a little rubble of like lean to it. Then I watched it and it did start that way, but then it, it turned into, it's amazing. And it was entertaining. It was so funny. Like to see you over there, it's, you know, it, it was really, really entertaining. Listen, it was hard. You know, so when I told the kids, oh, I'm going to go buy this, you know, one euro house and HG, I got HGTV involved. And I said, well, what do you think? And they just turned around and said, not crazier than any other thing that you've done in your life, mom. So that's, you know, I am, I'm, I'm a bit of an adventurer. I'm, you know, I don't want to jump out of a plane, you know, uh, but uh, I've been very lucky uh, real estate wise. I don't know why. I've just been lucky, you know. Things have come to me. Houses have come to me. I've bought and sold properties. I made a couple of bucks. So I'm very, you know, happy. But I love, love the house in Sicily. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Go back. Yeah. It's gorgeous. But, but I think when you say you're lucky in real estate, I, I actually think that that's, that is, you know, you could call it luck. Maybe there's a little luck there. And there's also something of like manifesting because when you have the courage to throw down on something, when other people kind of hedge their bets or they're hesitant, that that's when the opportunities come. Look, you know, I, I had the hindsight or the, the, the whatever you want to call it the, to, to, you know, to send over the, 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 uh, the article to HGTV. Ask me now, would I have done it myself by myself? Not so sure. You know, when I look back, it was not as, you know, uh, easy. But then I say to myself, the people were so excited. The workers, the stone workers. I used everybody from Sambuca. 
You know, I did go to Palermo and buy some things. I bought some beautiful Murano chandeliers from the 70s for 200 bucks. You know, I did do things like that. But the workers, the, 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 the people who fed us, <laughs> um, uh, everyone in that town was thrilled. The, the general contractor, I love that guy. Piero. <laughs> Piero. Piero? Is it? Piero. Uh, Everyone loves Piero. He was incredible. And your relationship was incredible. And, and that was the other thing I thought was these guys in, in Sambuca have to be so psyched because how much is the real estate going to go up there? Because all these people are seeing this. Um, you know, that's what we're praying for, that, you know, they have an influx of people coming in. They had 16 houses, uh, the municipality, and um, they got 100,000 emails to buy them. And they were overwhelmed in that they had to do a lottery. So I was very cheeky about that when I heard that. I was like, oh, wow, I, you know. So I decided to write the mayor a really nice letter saying that I was an Italian-American actress and my parents' family was from Palermo and that I think I could get this American TV network to come film it. So I went right to the top of the list. <laughs> well, that, that's another, you know what, though? That's another thing. So, you know, the... the, the and, I and I don't usually use that card. <laughs> That's another one of those things of like using what you got and it's a win-win situation for them. It's a no brainer. I mean, that's advertising. Yeah. Well, the, the, just talking about, you're not afraid to fail. The, the kind of subtitle for this podcast or the tagline is failure is opportunity. Cause my dad used to say failure is just opportunity in disguise, but that is what you remind me of with that where you just, yeah, there's no, you're swinging for fences. And if you strike out, you strike out. But when you connect. And also, I don't think that, you know, when I've failed and I've failed many, many a time that I, I never let myself wallow in that failure for long. And I will never forget. I think Harvey Keitel gave me some great advice in life. But one of the things he said to me, I auditioned for uh, Mike Nichols' movie with Harrison Ford, Working Girl. Oh. And she was a girl from Staten Island, Working Girl. And I went in, I gave a really good audition. And Mike Nichols afterwards said to everybody who was there, this is the real working girl. And I, I, when I left the, the, his townhouse on the Upper East Side, I ran to the telephone with it and I said, oh my God, I gave such a good audition. I feel so good about it. And she turned around and said, you didn't get the part. I was like, are you kidding me? How did I not get this part? How did this not happen, you know? I didn't get the part. Of course, Melanie Griffith did a fantastic job. They made a great movie. And that night, Harvey had gotten tickets to go see Les Miserables on Broadway. And I sobbed through the entire performance. I, I, I don't remember a word or a song or anything. I sobbed. I could not believe it. I was so upset that I didn't get that job. And he turned around and he said to me, as we were going home from Broadway in the cab, going home, Lorraine, let me just tell you this. You're allowed to cry until tomorrow. But if you can't take the heat, you got to get out of the kitchen. So he let me cry my eyes out all day and all night. And after breakfast, it was over. 
But that was good advice because as we know, as actors, <laughs> uh, you don't get every part you get I'll go up for. And, no, and I was right for that part. I would have done a damn good job. But that was very good advice. If you can't take the heat, you got to get out of the kitchen. And he's, he was a thousand times right, Harvey. Yeah, that's what I, I always say. Like whenever I get into a mode where I'm complaining, 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 I go, well, no one put a gun to my head and told me I had to be an actor. I've yep. chosen this. This yep. is like, you know, this is kind of like the, the fee for entry is that you're going to get, you're going to get rejected all the time. And I don't think a lot of people sadly don't realize, you know, the work that needs to be done. I mean, the first thing I ask people when they say, oh, I want to be a star. I was like, okay, well, do you read a lot? Oh, no, I hate to read. Acting's not for you. <laughs> they yeah. don't realize. No, no, you have to read. You have to study. Actually, that's something I'm curious. What is it? It's probably a lot of things, but what is the underlying, if you can even articulate it, why this is all you can do? Because that, that's how I think of it. Like there, there, everybody goes, well, do something. It's like, well, I, this, is, this is what I do. I didn't really choose it. It chose me. What is it for you that the beauty of, of acting well, one, I think acting is very hard. Yeah. I don't like digging into that vault. <laughs> I would like to keep that vault shut <laughs> and, 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 and not dig out emotions and feelings and thoughts of, you know, whatever I'm playing. I, I don't really enjoy that. Some people do. I particularly do not. <laughs> uh, but you but do it anyway. You do it anyway. I, and I think a big part of it for me was I had already had my children. I had already uh, had a big life before acting came. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I didn't, I was lucky. I didn't have to waitress. I didn't have to do a lot of things a lot of actors have to do to stay uh, free to go on auditions and work at night and, you know, all kinds of those things. I happen to have been very lucky that way. Um, uh, uh, so I was older. I really was. I was already, you know, 30 which is very late to start for an actor. 30 when you started. Kind of, yeah. Late 20s, 30s. You did some stuff in France, right? How you were, you were what, in your 20s when you did that? Yeah, but I mean, I knew nothing. I mean, I just learned my lines in French uh, and just stood there on my mark and said them. I mean, I didn't know anything about you know, creating a character, a person. I mean, I didn't know that. I was just lucky that I was an American who spoke French. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, let me ask you about um, your experience with Sopranos, the story I heard, and I don't know if it's, you know, if it's true or not, but they, uh, David, Chase wanted you for Carmela. You said, no, I want to play Dr. Melfi. What was that all about? What was the, what was the, uh, what went into that choice? So Sheila Jaffe, casting agent, been my friend. We go and have drinks where, you know, we're pals. And she has this script and they send it to the agents and they send it to the manager. And, you know, for me, it was another mafia movie. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. This does not interest me. I did it. And they kept, please, Lorraine, read it, read it. No, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And Sheila got on the phone and said, listen, this guy wants to meet you. And she 
please just read it, read it for me, do it for me, you know. And uh, so Carmela, you know, was the lead and, you know, that's uh, what I'm going to say everybody assumed that was what uh, he was looking, you know, uh, looking at me for. He definitely was not looking at me for Melfi. Yeah. And I read the script and I was like, this is a great script. I couldn't put it down. I was like, oh, my God. I, I never thought I would ever be interested in making another movie story like this. Blah, 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 blah. So I agree to go meet Mr. Chase. And uh, in the first minutes, and, you know, this happens often, you meet somebody and you like them. I liked him. Yeah. I did. I liked David. There was something shy and smart and uh, uh, interesting about David. And I said to him, look, I did good fellas. I'm not sure I could do or be better in another you know, story or TV movie about, you know, about a mafia wife. I got all the accolades anybody would ever dream of. I worked with Martin Scorsese, blah, blah, blah. I said, I want to play Dr. Melfi. And he looked at me and I said, well, let me tell you why. I said, I'm a different woman today than I was years ago when I did Carmela. I've been in therapy. I, uh, I worked out a lot of stuff. I feel good about myself. And I feel that uh, therapy has not ever been shown in a really good light and how it really can help somebody turn the corner, find what's working their fucking nerves <laughs> and what's stopping them from growing and being, know thyself, blah, 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 blah. And David opened up to me, so I've been in therapy for, you know, 400 years. And, um, I, and it's helped me also. I said, will you think about it? Did he immediately say, you got it or no? No, but I walked out knowing that I had her. <laughs> and do you think that that part, I'm, it had to have, that part was more than he originally imagined it would end up being because of you? I don't know. You'd have to ask David. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I always think in television, it, the, the, character becomes a melding with what the what the actors bringing will give hints to the writers of where they might go with it um i remember i uh. i i also said to david when we finished the pilot and i was like the last scene that we shot in the pilot and it was like four o'clock in the morning and i said to david and jimmy and to Eileen Landris, who produced The Sopranos, this will either be the weak, this will be a really bad decision on my part because it'll be the weak link in the show. Who's going to want to watch two people sit down, never move, <laughs> and talk to each other? Uh, not the case. So I took the risk. Yeah. Here again. You know, it was so funny. I just got offered something and I said, well, I, I got offered it. I'm waiting for the script. And Stella said, you know, just just do it, mom. Work gets work. You know that. And I was like, she goes, don't do like what you did in Sopranos. Read it and then say, oh, can I play this part? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It worked for you. Well, let me Let me ask you this, because I had, you know, for me, that was my... My, that, that was the, the biggest break that I had had 
up, but like before I did Sopranos, I had done a film. Yeah. I'd done a little bit and more plays. And then I did that. And that show was already what it was by the time I got there. Actually, Jim, the first day I worked with him, he goes, uh, you missed the boat kid. And I was like, what? He's like, he's like, we're a bunch of fucking monkeys. He's like, he's like, he's like, he was like, he was like saying I was, I was, you know, it was like the fourth season by the time I came in and you guys had done so much, but my, my relationship to him was, I was this, you know, wet behind the ear actors on this huge show with him and Edie mainly and, and more him. And he, it was really kind to me. I mean, he was in a, not in a bullshit way, not in a like, oh, I'm trying to be politically look good. He really just, I got so much from working with him. Um, look, I, I, thank God, you know what? I, I will, I have to admit this. You know, Jimmy had all those long monologues telling the story and he always went first. So two cameras on Jimmy and uh, 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 so focused that he asked them to have enough film that he could do the whole thing in one shot. And sometimes I was mesmerized watching him. I was like, oh my God, this guy is great. And I would forget that I was in the scene. That I would, oh, oh yes. And how did that make you feel, Mr. Soprano? You know, but very giving, very, very giving Jimmy as an actor because he, he came up little role, little role, little role, little role. So yeah. he knew what it is. Yeah. You know what he did? And, and, and um, it actually, it, it gets me, uh, it gets me a little choked up to think about this. I did that show and then I didn't see him for 10 years and I moved to LA and my buddy, Chris Messina was in the, the newsroom and he invited me to go to the premiere of the newsroom out there and Gandolfini was there. And, um, and Chris goes, oh, uh, he goes, oh, there, there's your boy. Go say hi. And I go, ah, you know, that was 10 years ago. I'm like, he's, I, I don't even know if he's going to, you know, uh, if it comes about, but I'm not going to go up to him. I don't even know, you know. And he comes over and he sees me and he gives me a big hair. He's like, oh, look at you. He's like, you were like a fucking baby back then, you know. And he's looking at you like a fucking man. And he, and he, and he kind of, you know, all the hoopla going on at this party and he kind of stopped and he didn't do again, the bullshit thing. And he looked at me and he goes, how's it going? And I was like, good. You know, we moved out here. we got a kid now. And he just kind of stopped and he looked and he's like, it's a really tough, it's a really tough business. It's a re- it's really tough. And like he, it, to the point where there was like a pause there where it kind of got me, emotional in the moment because I think it was probably a particularly tough time right then when he was saying this and he kind of gave space for it. And, and we talked, he was really cool. He walked away. That's the last time I ever saw him. And, and Messina goes, he's like, wow, he, he's like, that was really cool. He, he gets it. Yeah. He gets it. He gets the struggle. He has not forgotten what he went through to get where he was. And the other thing is, is, you know, it was so funny. I remember being, you know, at a dinner party and somebody, I said, you know, well, I'm just a working girl. I'm like a working class girl waiting for my next job. And they all looked at me like, you know, what are you talking about? You know, you're big, you're on a hit series, TV series. You've been in movies, you know, you, I said, no, no. I'm like a working class girl. Don't ever think anything else about an actor. Totally. And people were like, you know, you know, that's not what it is. You know, I, I don't care if you're Charlize Theron, who's stunning and beautiful and, you know, whatever. Uh, she's still a working girl. Yeah. Yeah. 
You got to go out, as I always say, you got to go club the next bear and pull it into the cave and carve it up and, and, and live on it for a little bit. And then, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it keeps you, it keeps you alive. Jimmy knew that. Totally. Yeah. Totally. He, he, it was in his eyes that night. It was, it was a really, you know, looking back on it. And I actually knew it in the moment. It was a really kind thing for, for an actor of his stature to take the time, not just to talk to me, say hello, but to take me in and give me that really that gift, you know, he gave you the truth. Yeah. Which is what I think makes his work so great, you know? Yeah. Um, I could talk to you for a long, long time, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you three final questions. I'm going to let you off the hook. This has been awesome. Um, all right. I ask, I ask everybody these three, the word no means what to you? Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. If you have a go-to mantra or any kind of phrase that you kind of just philosophy of life that you lean on when everything falls apart, is there some philosophy or something that you kind of believe in that gets you through it? Um, I can do anything I put my mind to. That's awesome. That's the first time I've heard that actually. Um, and that last one is if you, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? I guess it would be when I was voted the ugliest girl in sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. On the bus. Um, and I cried and cried and my father came into my room and he made me sit on his lap because he knew, you know, something, I said, what happened? What's the matter? Why do you keep crying? And I finally broke down and I told him that I was voted the ugliest girl in sixth grade on the bus. And I would say to that little girl, you don't know what life has in store for you. (laughs) And he did say I was the most beautiful girl in the world to him. But, you know, it's your daddy and he's going to say those things. But I would say to her, you have no idea the places you're going to go like the Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want people to know that the only reason I, I have a look of like incredulous look on my face, but we're every time I talk, I'm cutting Lorraine off. So it's like making her go mute. So I have to, I have to reserve my vocal, but, but to me to hear that the, even that that even happened is astounding. I think you are so beautiful. You are like, you, you always have been and continue to be, um, inside and out. You're, you're really a stunning person. Um, you're yourself kid. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. You really, I, I, I appreciate your, you just, every time I see you, you're so cool. And I appreciate you sitting down with me. And I think the people that will hear this, I think it'll, it'll inspire. There's, there's at least, I always say there's at least one person that's going to hear it. I think there's a lot more, but there's always, there's at least one person. And, and in this case, probably a a woman or a young woman that needs to hear this whole conversation, but needs to hear that. Like, I, I thank you for like, for, sharing that because there's someone out there or their kid, someone out there with a kid who just heard that and, and they're going, Oh man, I I feel horrible for my kid at this moment. But like, it doesn't, 
it, it doesn't end there. It's like, look, look at you, look what you've done. I, I can't thank you enough for sitting down with me. And I'm sorry. I was such a pain in the ass trying to schedule it. <laughs> oh, I, Matt, I think you are an incredible young man. I think you don't know what tomorrow will bring you. You're lucky to be married to a fabulous woman and have children. I think that is so important in life. I think it brings a dimension that, uh, uh, that makes you who you are. Wonderful. Thank you, Lorraine. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. What we do here is go back, 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 back. Okay, top three takeaways. Number one, you gotta do. You know, you, you, you got to get up. <laughs> you got to, you got to do. So, you know, I think falling into depression is, you know, you, you, you stop doing. Really? This one is just so simple. It ain't easy, but you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's that simple. Number two, lose the fear of failing. And I'm not afraid to fail. I think that's a big thing. Uh, I'm okay if, if, if I don't reach the mark I would like to, but I'll go down kicking and screaming, trying. And finally, number three, which I think might be the takeaway for really for a lot of young people listening right now. If you are in a storm at the moment, if it really looks terrible for you, this is not the end. That's the whole point of this podcast. This is not the end. You have no idea the places you're going to go. And I finally broke down and I told him that I was voted the ugliest girl in sixth grade on the bus. And I would say to that little girl, you don't know what life has in store for you. All right. Cannot thank Lorraine Bracco enough for sitting down with me. Thank you all for listening. If you dug this, as I always say, please share it with your friends. Leave a review, five-star rating, all of that stuff. Put it on social media, wherever you want. Again, with the book, thanks so much. If you did read the book already and you haven't left an Amazon review, that totally helps getting the book some visibility. So I appreciate that. And uh, that's it. Just have a great week. We'll be here on Monday Morsels. We'll be back here again next Friday. And And uh, we thank you for choosing us to listen to 10,000 No's. I know there's a lot of choices out there for podcasts, so uh, truly appreciate it. All right. Thanks. 